This is the Jets-Centric Podcast, your home for Winnipeg Jets, talk, thoughts, and takes. Hey there, Jets fans. Welcome back to episode 15 of the Jets-Centric Podcast. My name is AJ, one of your hosts, and this episode is brought to you by the Blackbird Brasserie, located at Suite 101, 300 Taché. New restaurant. Go there, check it out. Our newest and only sponsor. Um, We don't have a proper ad read, so that was it. So go check them out. (laughs) Anyhow, this episode, we got uh, two parts for you. We got the first part with Chris interviewing... Um, Luke of uh, Evolving Wild. Evolving Wild is um, a website, a Twitter account, uh, uh, a couple things run by two brothers. Uh, they focus mostly on the Minnesota Wild, um, uh, twin brothers, and so we had one of the brothers come on and they talked uh, Central Division, did a bit of a preview as well as some other chit-chat things, so enjoy that. Uh, follow that up with um, Ryan and Al- uh, interviewing Alistair Mowat of JetCenter.ca. He's written a couple of articles there, and uh, you should definitely go check that out at jetcenter.ca. Also, Ryan did one article there as well that you can check out. But Alistair kind of gives a little bit of the history of why he wrote the articles about making analytics easy. I believe it's called uh, Stats for Dads. So um, something that he wrote for his dad. So you should check that out and enjoy that. Uh, I'm a little under the weather, so I'm not going to keep talking. That's it. we got lots of great stuff coming up in the future. And here's your episode 15. Enjoy. And welcome back to Jet Centric. It's Chris here, and I'm here with Luke of Evolving Wild. Uh, he is the co-creator of the Evolving Wild, or EvolvingHockey.com, and a contributor at Hockey Graphs. Thanks for uh, joining us, Luke. Yeah, thanks for having me. Right on. So, you're a creator of a website uh, that de- deals in fancy stats. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So it's uh, it's Evolving-Hockey.com. It's just kind of a project that uh, my brother Josh and I started over the summer. Um, just mainly kind of the genesis of it was we had been working on this goals above replacement model for war model kind of thing for a bit, for a long time, probably it's about a year now. And we got to a point where we were pretty much done with it and wanted people to have access. So that was kind of the main, you know, um, I guess motivation to do it, but then also to make the model, we have to, we had to make a whole bunch of other stats that are pretty similar to what you can find at Corsica, just, just the way it, it, it works. So we figured had a, well, we had a lot of interest um, from people and we figured that like people might want to really, you know, could enjoy looking at the numbers. So it was kind of a project to just put it all um, on a website and uh, make it public for people to play around with. So it's been a, yeah, it's been a, a project, but it's been a, we're, we're getting close to being done here. So it's, it's been pretty cool to work on it. Yeah. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And uh, you were mentioning off air, uh, you, you didn't start as uh, as hockey guys, you and your brother. So tell us a little bit about, about that, if you would. Yeah, so I'm actually uh, mostly was a baseball fan growing up. So, um, you know, I played baseball. Both my brother and I played baseball. Um, we didn't really ever get into hockey that much. But 
basically once I got out of college, um, just kind of was looking for something to do and the twins were awful. So I just, you know, we kind of both like, well, well, Hey, what's this team? Uh, the wild, my dad is a big, um, he's really big into hockey. He's played like his whole life. So he can, we kind of watched some games with him and then, um, just being baseball fans, you know, we, uh, we're both really big into the number side of it, just the baseball statistics. And so when we first, basically right when I first started watching, like after I kind of got the rules down and everything, I was like, Oh, I wonder what the numbers, you know, what kind of stats they have. And I think that was like maybe during the lockout season, I think. So it was before like the, you know, the summer of analytics, the 2014, whatever, where everybody got hired. So there was still a lot of stuff going on and pretty much just the numbers side of it just, kind of developed right alongside just watching hockey like it, it all kind of went hand in hand so that's just it's yeah that's yeah <laughs> that's really cool because there's such a a, uh, a dividing line between old school hockey and uh, new school fans or or the analytic side and the compromise side which sees both sides so it's really neat to hear somebody that's a, a new fan that took it that way right off the bat. And I think that's, that's awesome. I think that that's a, a different, a different way to look at it. I think that's fantastic. And it doesn't change your enjoyment of the game. I'm going to assume. No, it's, I mean, honestly, for me, it's like kind of one of the motivations to kind of try to build some of these statistics is like, I just want to know who's good. <laughs> you know, it's like, cause it's, it's, it can be really hard and just coming from baseball, like, like the war models that they developed in other type of statistics they had kind of they that you you would see players that would be kind of up at the top of these like more advanced metrics and you'd kind of be like that would kind of inform how you would watch the game and so that's for me that's how it's always been is kind of taking some of these methods that um you know a lot of people have done in the past and who got hired or maybe aren't working in it anymore and kind of trying to get them up to speed or, or refresh them kind of a little bit and you can kind of as you're making the numbers you can as you watch the game, it kind of can inform you as like, well, this specific thing says this player is really good. I'm going to watch him see why that might be, you know, mm -hmm. and, it, and you kind of like in, they both inform like, you know, the other one, it kind of just goes totally hand in hand. So it's, it's a, it's, it, it's just another aspect of kind of enjoyment with hockey for me. It's like not just watching, but watching and, you know, like kind of looking at the numbers is just something I've always sure. liked. Yeah. Yeah, we had a conversation on an episode not long ago about how most of the people that are in my kind of group where I'm, I've been watching hockey for 35 years, yeah. uh, but I, pre I appreciate the stats side of it. And my big thing is I like to see the stats back up my eye test. Yeah, that's, oh, exactly. that's what I like. And I, you know, I want to see, oh, is, you know, is Jacob Truba really as good as I think he is? And then you go see, well, yeah, he really is that good. In fact, he might even be better. Right. And I think yeah. that that helps your enjoyment of the game, like you're saying, totally. Yeah. Or like with, I mean, the Jets have some fun players like Perot, especially who's kind of like, a, you know, fancy stats darling. But then also like with some of the newer methods that are coming out, like Manny on Corsica has the shooting he's got a part of his war model that's a shooting gar or gold mm -hmm. replacement. And like, you see liney up there just, and it's like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Cause you know, <laughs> you know, he can just score from wherever it seems like that shot is just wicked. So, 
you know, it's kind of fun to kind of to see some of those players and how and like I think that he's probably going to rank really high and then they do. And it's kind of, you know, yeah, sometimes it doesn't match up like that, though. And that's where it gets kind of interesting, you know, so. It does create a lot of conversation, right? And, oh, uh, you know, what <laughs> water cool, com- cooler conversations with guys that don't follow <laughs> stats and talk about the Ben Sherrott's uh, of the world and how great they are. And there's nothing <laughs> to back that up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I agree. I think it's fantastic. I'm not super into it. And, uh, but we've had uh, Garrett Hole is, uh, is a part of kind of in our community. We've had him on the podcast oh, and yeah. he's another guy that is, is big into that. And uh, we like to use Garrett for uh, backup on the Twitter machine when we need proof that somebody's pretty good or, <laughs> or something like that, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. Well, he was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was one of the first like big, like fall is just his writing on hockey graph hockey graphs. Just, he wrote a lot of great articles there and, you know, it was kind of in, involved in like us getting, you know, kind of, kind of becoming contributors there. So like, yeah, yeah Garrett's a great. And I, I, I do have to say, I miss his jets, you know, takes now that he uh, <laughs> is a little bit, has to be a little bit more, you know, <laughs> can't really be spouting true. on Twitter anymore, but you know, yeah. Yeah, he had a he had a couple of politi- politically correct answers when I interviewed him a couple of weeks back, but uh, we got oh, a little sure. bit out of him. It was it was nice. It was good. Yeah. He's always good to us, so we, so we like that. Yeah. So um, let's let's talk because this is going to be more like a. I think we're going to end up with a central division preview uh, from for our listeners, so they know what we're kind of going at here. So I think this is going to be the first first one. Will be the wild. Okay. What did you see? F- what did you see from the wild last year? Maybe not even fancy stats wise. What was their expectation last year? How did the season play out? Those sorts of things. Well, I think, um, I mean, honestly, in my opinion, I think the coming out of the 16, 17, like the 2016, 17 season, like that was, in my opinion, that's probably the best team the wild they've ever had. And they're probably one of the better teams of the last, like, you know, t- 10 years, 11, 15, whatever years. I mean, that team was kind of, uh really good and so i think the expectations were really high for last year and um pretty much they didn't really meet those um but i think that a lot of the storylines that are coming out now is that there were a lot of injuries you know and then in the playoffs obviously the they were missing Suter against the jets i mean the jets were probably i mean they were one of the best teams in the league last year so it's like that's a hard series anyway but um they had a lot of players who were injured so I mean, they got what, like, I think it was like 101 or 102 points last year, which is, I mean, you know, 100 point season and they made the playoffs. So I think it was still a good year. But, um, you know, it was kind of uh, there were some players who really kind of, uh, you know, like Stahl and, and Zucker and um, and Granlin to an extent. But, um, you know, mostly Stahl in terms of just an individual player performance, like from what the national media might know. But I think. Um, you know, I mean, it was, I, I think most people would say it was probably disappointing, but I thought, I mean, they had a good season. It's just, it didn't, you know, it wasn't enough, but the only one team really ever is it enough for. So, you know, <laughs> that's right. That's right. I wasn't going to ask, but you, you, uh, made a little, uh, thing in my memory here about Eric Stahl season last year. Um, I've always been kind of not unaware of him. I've always thought he's just really, really good. And then he had a couple of down seasons last couple of years in Carolina. What, what, 
what was that? That was unexpected, right? Last year, like, let's yeah. be honest. Well, I think that like kind of, um, you know, that's something where you can kind of look at the underlying, like just shot kind of metrics, like Corsi or whatever. And like, he's always been a really um, big play driver. So he drives offense mm -hmm. in a big kind of way. And that's been like throughout his whole career. Um, and so I think it was, there was just a kind of combination with, um, you know, the, his linemates last year, like, I think, um, like, uh, you know, let me just quick, let me see who he played with exactly right now. Ex let me just, yeah. But I mean, for the most part, um, yeah, he kind of was all throughout the lineup, but like he, yeah, he, mo he played a lot with Zucker, um, and, and, uh, Rider, And I think that, um, he just had, there was something about playing with Zucker and, um, and Granlin too, to some extent, but mostly Zucker and Nino. I mean, that line was really, really good to start the season. So he kind of just, you know, with a little bit of shooting percentage luck is gonna, you know, put up 43 right. goals or whatever. But I think that um, he, yeah, he is a really, really low key kind of like flies under the radar player, but I mean, when, cause as evidenced by his contract, I mean, it's only like three and a half million, when he signed it. And I think that was, uh, um, you know, very undervalued player at the time. And Stahl's always been really, really good offensively. It's just, in my opinion, his defensive game has been pretty weak, but that's kind of what you get with some of the better offensive talents mm. in the league. So, I mean, in the, just watching him in the preseason this year, he's looked really good still. Uh, I mean, he's, he is getting older and a lot of the big questions that you hear a lot of the, if you ever, if you listen to any of the, playoff or like the regular season like 18 19 previews every single national media organization is just like can stall do it again so it gets a little bit like it's just a funny thing because it's like well he's probably not going to score 43 goals again but i mean mm -hmm. he'll i mean him getting to 30 wouldn't i don't think that's out of the realm of possibility at, at all he's been playing with zucker and granlin on a line in the preseason yeah so I, I i just think that's a you know i i don't see any reason why he takes like a significant like really big step back i would think it's not as like last year but it'll probably be similar you know not quite as good but you know still solid yeah i, I mean I'll, i always root for that guy and he's always been really good i just i think like i said those last couple of years in carolina really were um oh kind of gave everybody a different perspective of him right he's an yeah, olympian well, and and all those sorts of things so it's not like he's you know a surprise so yeah well and i think uh, his time at the rangers they moved him to like the wing and played him on like the third line wing right so i forgot like, about that too yeah yeah it's like that really also probably tank because he i mean he could have i mean based on like from what i have seen like he probably was at that time like a five million dollar player more like it um but it's just what happens when you play for like a team like Carolina and you don't get the exposure and then you get buried by some, you know, <laughs> for some reason, right. and it's just, it's <laughs> kind of unfortunate, fortunate for the wild, unfortunate for stall. But, you know, I mean, sure. I think that people are kind of starting to see that, Oh, well, you know, maybe those uh, early, you know, those Carolina seasons weren't, you know, just kind of a flash in the pan. Sure. What um, so let's move on to this year. If you could give me a little uh, what what the what the Wild have done and with the off season, and uh, if they lost anybody, who they've added, and how those those are significant. Yeah, so it's been kind of a funny off season. Honestly, um, they didn't really do much. Like they have basically the same top nine 
forward group and top four defenseman group, they kind of just did a little shuffle around on their bottom lines. Um, basically, they just lost like Winnick, uh, Daniel Winnick. Like, I mean, Chris Stewart was gone in the season, but like Matt Cullen didn't resign. Tyler Ennis didn't resign or they bought him out. So basically their whole bottom bottom line plus is just been just kind of turned over and they picked up like Eric Fair and they signed JT Brown and Matt Reed. And uh, I'm trying to think of another, they had a couple minor league players in there. Um, so they basically just replaced their fourth line. And then they have like Jordan Greenway. Um, he, you know, he was in the playoffs last year against the jets and mm-hmm. um, he's been playing a third line role with uh, Erickson Eck and Coyle in the preseason, which seems like that's what they're going to try to go with. So mostly, I mean, they didn't really do hardly anything other than just kind of turn over their depth guys and um, uh, sign Dumba and Zucker. And, and cause it was just uh, Fenton. It, it sounded like they were, they wanted to really make a big move, but um, you know, seemed like most teams kind of were aware of that and they were basically just low balling on every player. So they didn't end up trading anyone and they just are basically coming back into the season this season with like pretty much the exact same team. Um, just hopefully with uh, Spurgeon and Niederreiter and Coyle being uh, not injured kind of for the whole season. So, yeah, that's just so if you. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. I'm done. <laughs> so, yeah, if you have those three guys healthy and you turn that fourth line over into the guys that, that you mentioned, I mean, that sounds like, you know, you're at least going to stick around next year. There's not probably going to be a fall off. And which brings me to the key question, which uh, you're talking about the, the season two years ago. And then last season is the Devin Dubnik. I mean, it's the wild card, right? He's yeah. can be one of the best goaltenders in the league. And he clearly can make you a president's trophy candidate or a first round exit. Yeah. Goalie, right? Yeah. It's and that. Honestly, I think that that's basically what the season's going to, I mean, not exactly going to come down to, but like the wild are, they've consistently been for the last probably three or four years, like one of the best defensive teams in the league, like from a skating standpoint, like just from some of the metrics, like I, I personally think expected goals is probably one of the best things for defense just because the, it removes the goalies for all players. So um, from an expected goal standpoint, the wild have been maybe the strongest defensive team in the league probably the strongest defensive team in the league. And so Dubnik has it pretty easy back there. So it's, um, I mean, relative to the rest of the team. So it's, it, it really is going to kind of come down, I think, to how well he can, he can play. Cause if he plays, I mean, this is the same with any team, but I think for the wild, um, just because they are such a strong defensive team that, um, you know, they could really leverage that if Dubnik can kind of, you know, really up his game a little bit. I mean, at the same time, I think that they, you know, obviously need to be generating more offense, but like they don't have, um, you know, the super high end, like ultra offense play, like those kind of players. They have a lot more just really well-rounded players, but nobody, you know, so that's kind of what you're hoping for is that Dubnik can basically just give you, you know, about league average save percentage. I mean, relative to the shots he sees. So yeah, Dubnik's going to be a big factor for sure. So the the Wild are more like a, almost like a, what we consider more an old school roll four lines, uh, solid defense, and and good goaltending style, right? And maybe that's not old school. That might might not be the best way to put it. But you kind of have like three second lines and and a and a fourth line, right? 
Is that yeah. No, totally. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. It's funny because, like, just in some of the um, just the work that we've done, it's it it's funny with the like the war models that are available right now. Like the wild, they just don't have like a lot of bad players. They don't really have that like super top end like Shifley or McDavid or you know like right. you know like one like Hall or one of those real high end players, but their entire team is really not like, they don't really have that, like a a terrible skater, like a lot of teams do, you know? So Mm -hmm. overall, I think the strength of their roster is if you took an average of their roster, it's, it's actually really high. It's just, they don't have that, you know, that game, you know, game breaker kind of player, you know, big elite talent or whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, and that's, that's been kind of a big criticism from a lot of, people is that they don't have like, you know, like a Kucherov or a Liney or a, you know, Matthews or, or McDavid, like game breaker, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. McKinnon kind of one of those guys who like the writers might say could just win it will, you know, kind of, they put the Mm -hmm. team on their back, you know, it's mostly, they just have a lot of really, really well-rounded players. Um, And so it's an interesting from a team construction, team construction standpoint, I think the wild are one of the more, they're, I mean, I mean, most people think they're pretty boring to watch, but it's it's just kind of funny because like they just have a they're a really solid all around team, and to see kind of how that works when compared to a team like you know Philly where they have or or the Avalanche where the Avalanche just have like one of the best top lines in the league and then like nothing you know yeah and that and so it's an interesting thing to look at with with what's going to be more successful is a more overall balanced team more successful or is just stacking your top line like Dallas used to do or like Colorado is going to do this year or did last year you know is that going to be more successful so yeah yeah and I think that that's great like when you mentioned those guys that they signed you know JT Brown and that like that those seem like really good hockey players I don't I you know as the Jets have come back and I stopped playing video games I don't have as much of (laughs) I don't have as much of a knowledge of other teams' players as I used to. I used to know every player on every team. Yeah. Now I kind of – mostly Jets-focused. But when you r- rifle off those three, four guys that are, you know, fourth liners, it's like those seem like – you know, Matt Reed, I think, was a 20-something goal scorer a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think uh, – like, You know? Look, yeah, I mean, looking at a lot of the players, it's not like they're going out and signing – like, you know, kind of like – um, I don't know, like Lucas Sabiza, you know, the Islanders just signed him. Like, he's just – looks terrible from a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of metrics yeah. and um you know cody mcleod is another type of player kind of grinder and like the wild they honestly they didn't like the really only kind of sore spot <laughs> they had was chris stewart he's pretty bad but like other than that a lot of their like fourth line players like they're signing pretty much just like really solid like you know fourth line players and they're not making a lot of money but they're better than the players that other teams might have in those positions. So, you know, it is a really, um, it's just an interesting kind of way they approach it is they're very conservative, you know, in the way that they kind of uh, their, the team construction is right now. So. So I guess there would be one exception and one elephant in the room, maybe uh, to that. And that would be something that I would have to talk about is, is Matt Hendricks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just forgot. Yeah. About, I forgot about that when I was, and I was like, oh, yeah, they did sign him. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, we'll see what happens there. I'm not sure. Seems like, you know, 
Bruce Boudreaux is really funny and he's just such a silly guy and he loves those kind of players. Um, just like the, you know, AHL, like potential, like fourth line kind of grinder or character guys. Like he just loves having a couple of those guys on the team. So I think Hendricks kind of like, I'm not really that familiar with him other than seeing the wild play the jets and just what I saw when he played, you know, for the jets, but um, it, it'll be a interesting, I think there's going to be a little bit of a, a you know, kind of, a rotisserie down at the bottom where they're kind of maybe calling people up or whatever. Cause they got a lot of people they can kind of, you know, put in, in the fourth line and, or send down to Iowa or the AHL. So yeah, it'll be interesting. <laughs> well, we don't need to go too much more into that. It's a, it's a <laughs> sort of a sore spot for some of us here. So, uh, but so just quickly, what do you see, uh, see this year from the wild? Um, I mean, I think they're a playoff team. Again, I mean, mm-hmm. they uh, – but it's like – I think, like, Winnipeg and Nashville are clearly, in my opinion – I mean, we did a, some point projections a couple – like, a week ago, just running some models, um, kind of like what Korska and uh, Moneybuck did. Um, and we had the Wild actually, like, sixth in the league, uh, which I felt is actually pretty high, but that was, like – that's just where they came out at. Um, and they were just right behind um, – it was, like – it was, like, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh, Boston, and then Winnipeg, Nashville, and the Wild. So like, wow. It w- and then Money Puck has them at the Wild at like tenth, and then Korska had them at like right in the middle, like fifteenth or fourteenth in the league. So I think that honestly, I think Winnipeg and Nashville are the clear favorites in the Central. And then if one of Minnesota, Dallas, or St. Louis was in that next spot, it wouldn't really surprise me that much. Um, I think. Colorado's pretty uh I mean they're beyond that first line and a couple defensemen they're pretty weak and um then Chicago's gonna just be a garbage I mean they're just so terrible so yeah um yeah I mean I think that they're definitely gonna be either like third um third in the central or maybe maybe first wild card um and then you know just if that's the case hope they don't draw the Jets again (laughs) you know (laughs) Because uh, the Jets are always such a hard, uh, hard matchup for the Wild, just because the Jets have always been so much, so big. So I think the Wild have always had kind of a tough time playing against the, you know, the size of 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 the Jets, just because the Wild have a lot of smaller players, and you know, like Spurgeon just gets tossed around, <laughs> you know, Granlin too, and yeah. So so I think that's kind of my you know, hope is just like, I mean, as a fan, you know, um, yeah, they basically like are close to around, uh, you know, 90, 98 points maybe. And, you know, kind of make it in the playoffs and hope that Dubnik catches fire and they can make a run. That's basically what I think, you know, fans could be hoping for in, in Minnesota. Well, that's, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't disagree. I think St. Louis is going to make a jump and Dallas is always a question mark because they could be so good and, and, and you wonder, but you know, uh, I, anytime you got uh, Dubnik and net, <laughs> you probably have a chance yeah. and uh, you know, and it's great. It's good for the rivalry. If both of our teams are good, I think that's something that uh, both sides are trying to promote. Um, that oh, there's yeah. a rivalry there and, uh, and we love well, it. The funny thing with the Jets fans is like, I personally, I just, like, love the Jets. Like, I have a hard time, like, (laughs) getting into the rivalry, like, about it because I just have always really liked the Jets because it's, like, you know, it's kind of like Winnipeg. I feel like kind of a shared 
experience being in the middle of the country everybody forgets yeah. about being in the middle of the country i feel kind of like a you know common bond or a link with winnipeg fans because it's like everybody forgets about minnesota right in the middle here too so sure. it's just kind of a and i mean you know you guys do have like wheeler and bufflin and I just like, you know, some good, really good Minnesota players. So like, yeah. I love, you know, and I just have always really liked Wheeler. So it's, it's kind of funny. Whereas like the avalanche, I just like, there's no love lost there. It's just a, you know, sure. it's yeah. They, yeah, that's a whole other thing, but yeah, it is. I really like seeing the jets, um, you know, be good, you know, and it does make for fun games. Def- that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I know a couple buddies went down uh, for the weekend for the Jets game and the and the Minnesota Miracle. Uh, so, luckily, oh, yeah. luckily they got to see the Miracle because that Jets game was a big pile of horse crap that night. They mailed <laughs> it in, so luckily they got to see one of the best NFL football games of all time. So, yeah, that was nuts. That was nuts. <laughs> yeah. Shout it's out not, to Steve, Ren, and Daniel. Game, but that game, was <laughs> yeah, nuts. that's right. That's crazy. Uh, so that's awesome. That's all the time we have, uh, Luke. Thank you so much. Go ahead and uh, promote whatever you need to promote your website, your Twitter handle, all that stuff. Uh, surprisingly, people do listen to us, so you might gain some follows and gain some uh, traction. Oh, I'm sure. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again for having me. So you can um, find me. I'm Luke and my brother Josh. We run at Evolving Wild on Twitter. Um, we have a website which is uh, evolving-hockey.com, which is basically just a lot of different numbers and stats. And then um, we also, to support the website, we have a Patreon. So you can go to patreon.com slash evolving hockey. Nice. And that's uh, the tab pin tweet in our, uh, on, on Twitter. So if, if you can't find it, just go to our Twitter page and it's the pin tweet. And, uh, you know, just anything helps just with the server costs and just the work that, it, you know, to put in there. Appreciate all help and hoping to uh, maybe potentially add some more fancier features that we might kind of like uh, – like Blake McCurdy does with his on hockey biz where you can kind of subscribe and get some more advanced features, but that would sure. take a little bit to add. So yeah, but those are, yeah. And then, um, and then we write um, every now and then just some pieces for uh, hockey graphs, just when we feel like writing, I'm <laughs> currently have a lot of things in the pipeline that uh, we both need to kind of get done, but that our web doing the website is kind of taking precedent over that. So Yeah. Right on, man. You guys are awesome. You got it going on there and uh, we look forward to uh, all your stuff on Twitter and, and all that. So keep it up. Good luck uh, to your team this year and good luck to the website. That's awesome that you guys are working so hard on something like that. So we'd like to see you guys uh, succeed. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Right on Luke. We appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you again. I hope uh, at some point. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Have a good one. Yeah. Thank you. You too. Right on. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. Welcome back to the Jet-Centric Podcast. My name is Ryan Faith, and I am now joined by Ali Mowat, writer for the Jet Center blog. You can find him on Twitter.com at Alistair underscore Mowat. Ali, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Before we drill down into the first half of the preseason, um, tell us a bit about yourself. How did you get into being a Jets fan, and what made you interested in writing for Jet Center? So I've got a bit of a weird story, actually, about that. Uh, I really never was a hockey guy growing up. Uh, I was more into baseball, that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, but once I, got, once I turned 18 and started hanging out at uh, the bar with friends and stuff, 
I guess I was watching the, the game would always be on TV or whatever. Never paid too much attention, but I'd, you know, look, look up every time something exciting happened. Then uh, I was away for school for uh, about three months, the year they made the playoffs, uh, 2015, 20, 2015, 2016? Yeah, 2015. 2015, right. Uh, so I was out of the country, and I couldn't just catch the game, and it was starting to get exciting. So uh, I started reading articles, and I found a couple of uh, Jets blogs, like Arctic Ice Hockey and Jets Nation, started reading all that stuff, and... That's kind of how I got hooked. I got more into the nerdy side of it and then started watching the games a lot more. So, Okay, so you didn't have to go through the struggles of the first four years like uh, like us other fans. You kind of picked up during that first playoff run and uh, just kind of got hooked and jumped on board? Yeah, exactly. I've, I've been accused of being a bandwagon fan, but I think I've, uh, I've proven myself in the last couple of years anyway. Well, you didn't jump off after that first playoff run in the next uh, – couple of years of struggles so uh, exactly no longer a bandwagoner you're you're here for good so Mm -hmm. how did you get into writing for jet center well as i say uh i'd really kind of gotten into the the jets through like the the comments section of you know the the hockey blogs that uh were covering the team and uh as I got my courage up and started participating and asking questions and stuff, I eventually realized that the real arguments were happening on Twitter. So I got a Twitter account pretty much expressly for hockey stuff. And uh, I, was in, I realized I was spending so much time reading things about the Jets and watching the Jets and arguing with people online that I may as well start actually writing what I think. So uh, here we are. Perfect. Well, you're not going to win over any arguments on Twitter, so it's probably... Uh, best to actually put it on a blog yeah exactly because that really persuades everyone who reads it eh? yeah exactly um so looking back to the off season that we just had mm-hmm. there are a few changes that were made to the team uh we lost tobias enstrom he yeah. went back home after maybe a tumultuous ending to the playoffs being scratched in uh, game five of the western conference finals yeah Ugh, don't <laughs> remind me yeah, and then uh, Paul Stastny also, um, he decided to take off. He yeah. signed on with Vegas. Maybe they enticed him by beating the Jets in that uh, playoff series. Which mm-hmm. one to you is a is a bigger loss? Well, you know, up until this training camp, I would have said Toby. Uh, wait, no. Sorry, Stastny. <laughs> I would have said Stastny was the bigger loss uh, because I don't really know if the Jets have a dynamite second-line center the way Stastny kind of stepped into that role. Uh, I mean, Little can do the job, but I don't know if he can excel at the job, you know? Yeah. Well, right now, who do you have up front? There's Mark Scheifele, obviously, is your number one center. Yeah, definitely. After that... That's where it gets a bit hazy, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it all depends how you draw it up, but it's going to be Little and Lowry, obviously. Yeah. And then I think it's kind of going to have to be one of Batan or Roslovic, uh, which basically means it's Roslovic until the coach realizes that maybe he really is better as a winger. For now. Yeah. I think that's something that maybe as he learns to grow in the game as a winger, then he can fill into that center role and jump up and 
center someone like Line A and whoever. I don't think that Euler's experiment on the other side is the best. He's better as a shooter, not a mm-hmm. pass. But they need something there. And I agree with you. Stastny is a big miss until until Rosalvik is at that level. Exactly. And I do think he will get to that level. I just think he's probably a year or two away of you know, really getting the reps in at center before he can handle it at that level. Uh, but man, losing Toby hurts too. I mean, I was pretty confident going into this training camp that uh, Sammy Niku would be getting that second line or that second pairing left-hand shot role. Yeah. But uh, I don't think the coach is going to do it. And uh, I haven't loved uh, any of the other options <laughs> on the left uh, that he's been trying out. So. And that's the problem right now is you have, you have Bufflin, Truba, um, Morrissey, Sherratt, who are kind of your locks and Myers as your top five. Yep. And then fighting for number six, there's too many. There's Joe Morrow, Tucker Pullman. And again, we need, uh, we need Sammy Niku to kind of fill in there because those other two options they're iffy at best some days. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so let's just assume that playing with Bufflin, it's going to be one of Niku, Moro, or Sherratt, right? Yeah. All three of them, in my opinion, have their their issues in their own end. Like, Niku gets a lot of hate online for being too inexperienced, I guess. But, I mean, Moro and Sherratt make their mistakes in the D zone all the time, you know, and the way and I see experienced, those are experienced players. And if well, they still haven't got it, why would you not bring in a rookie defenseman who has proven to be uh, a top level defenseman in the AHL winning rookie of the year last year? Yeah. He, showing his scoring prowess in the preseason so far. And I know it's just preseason, but he also showed some flash of it last year, scoring mm-hmm. his first goal against Carey Price with an absolute rocket. Yeah, definitely. And his his uh, first goal the other night was a dynamite shot. Like the second one was a lucky bounce for sure, but the first one was a really good shot. I mean, he has a cannon, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, do you think he gets treated like uh, Kyle Connor, where he gets sent down at the beginning of the year, and then it takes an injury to open up his way to making the team? I definitely think that's what's going to happen. Uh, so, and, you know, honestly, the odds are probably in his favor looking at that left-hand side. I mean, Kulikov is, you know, he's had his operation and he seems to be skating halfway decently in the in training camp here. But, you know, would you put money down that he isn't going to get hurt, isn't going to aggravate his back? Like, now that he's on his second back injury, which the team has said is not related, this one's not related to the first one, it still makes you wonder, is he injury prone and how long is he going to last? Now, yeah. the scary thing about that is the Tyler Myers experiment. <laughs> Very so true. He goes down. Do you call up Sammy Niku or does Paul Maurice pull over Tyler Myers and throw him on that left side, say, with Bufflin? So, I mean... I feel like Maurice has tried Myers on the left, and I don't think he liked what he saw, despite what he says in the press interviews. 
because I think he'd be giving Myers more reps if he could. And he's already moved him back to the right. And I, I think he's realized that that isn't the best solution. He just can't say it out loud, you know? Yeah, and I think that that's a sigh of relief if that is the case because he really did not look good over there. <laughs> and if Maurice actually does mean what he says, that he just might need more time, um, he's growing into that position, then that's scary because you're right, the, your right side is already Bufflin, Truba, and uh, Joe Morrow. And I don't see Maurice pulling Joe Morrow out of there. Yeah, I know. And he does like to play Kulikov on his offside, too. He's talked about that a fair bit. And playing Myers on his offside just so you can play Kulikov on his offside, that seems like a bit of a stretch to me. Yeah, with with so many pieces that can be moved around, um, I think the, the most sense is just moving Miku into that spot. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think he would fly as soon as he got that shot, so... I think it'll happen at some point, but I do think he's going to get sent down, even though, even though I disagree with it. Well, um, not that we hope for injuries. Um, we hope that uh, we can get the opportunity to see Miku in the lineup sometime this year. I'm sure we will, but uh, yeah. Uh, let's move on to uh, Laurent Brassois. He is the other move made this offseason. He was the only real addition that mm-hmm. is going to be in the lineup starting night. What have you thought of him so far, just in the couple sample games? So, you know, bearing in mind, this is only two preseason games. I think he's about what you'd expect from a backup goalie. Uh, And what I mean by that is he's been generally pretty solid. Like uh, the first game he got, everyone was praising him for how quiet and relaxed he seemed. You know, he didn't get rattled. Uh, The second game he had, I've noticed a few more kind of breakdowns. Uh, He wouldn't have liked that second goal that uh, went in on the breakaway over his uh, right shoulder. And uh, I don't think he was too happy with how he cleared that puck directly to a Flames uh, player in the slot. Uh, But overall, he still put up a decent game for most of the time. And really, that's all you need from a backup, right? Is somebody who can go in and win maybe 10 games over the course of the season? I think they'll be lucky to get a 50% win percentage out of the guy. And I think that's all you can ask out of him, as Hellebuck, either way, is going to be playing a majority of games. 65 games is kind of where I'm seeing it right now. Yeah. 17 to Brassois. And if you win seven or eight of those, I think that's great. Um, it was interesting to hear from him after the second game say that he actually, his skates were not tied <laughs> in the first period or were loose in the first period. And that's why he looked like he struggled. Yeah, that's a new one, eh? I've <laughs> never before. heard that before. Yeah. I think uh, maybe during a TV timeout, you could quickly fix that. But uh, yeah. Back to the first game, though, what I really noticed in my first impressions of him were he looked a lot like Connor Hellebuck to me i don't you alluded to the he looked calm in net Mm -hmm. positioning was good i know they have the same off-season goaltender trainer do you think that has a lot to do with why the jets brought him in well 
I think that might have played a role, but the bottom line is they needed a backup goaltender, and he was on the market, and he uh, came at the right price. So I think it was just, you know, icing on the cake that he also works with Connor Hellebuck and has a relationship with him. But they were going to sign somebody like him regardless, I think. Yeah, and it was it's it's a gamble because behind him you have Eric Comrie who is kind of made an appearance over the last few years and looked shaky at best. Yeah. And then below that you have Mikel Berden. I don't know much about him. And then you really don't have anybody. You had Hutchinson before, you had Steve Mason before. Yeah. So maybe that's something that the team looks at during the year if Brassois is not making the cut but I don't know he uh, he's playing again tonight so we'll have to watch the highlights once that game's over and see yeah you know I, I'm really curious to see if he looks more like the first game or more like the second game um, I guess I want to see if he's got his skates tied on right this time yeah, yeah. <laughs> and his pads on the right legs mm-hmm. but yeah I could definitely see the Jets picking up a goalie at the trade deadline uh, basically, I just think last year, Hellebuck, Mason, uh, Hutchinson is a stronger, you know, top three goalies than Hellebuck, uh, Brossois, and Comrie. So if they want to make a run in the playoffs, I could see them wanting to strengthen that position. For sure. Um, back to what we were saying before about the center is that another move at the trade deadline that you can see the team making is maybe going out and getting uh, an experienced center because the jets do have draft picks the first and second round draft pick for the next three years are available yeah doing anything like that or a prospect perhaps so i could see them making a move if things aren't going great with whoever they have as their fourth center uh but i mean down the down the down the middle, if you've got Shifley, Little, and Lowry as your three go-to guys, that's not bad. Like you could, you, everyone talks about the Lowry line as the fourth line, but you can really look at it more like a third line. They get a lot of minutes and they play hard matchups, and they do it well. So, really, what you need then is a fourth line center, and I think if one of Rosalik or Patan can, they can probably handle that. You know. Yeah, and that brings me to my next question is out of the forward group that's still in training camp, butter up mm-hmm. in the air, Dano, Veselainen, and Patan, who do you see cracking this roster? So I think that it's going to just come down to the contract situation. Uh, I think they can send down Lemieux and Veselainen without breaking a sweat. And they can still call them up if, they, if they're the guys they want in the lineup, you know. I think Dano and Patan will get to stay just by virtue of not – they would have to go through the waiver wire if they didn't. Do I don't you think, think Patan is someone who gets picked up as soon as he's dropped down? Yeah, I do, actually. Uh, there are enough teams out there, I think, that could use a versatile lower six – like bottom six – center or winger, you know, who has a track record of success and has the tools and just hasn't quite put it together or it hasn't gotten the right look, uh, depending on your perspective on that. Uh, I think somebody would take a risk on him. I don't think it would cost them anything because he's dirt cheap. So 
I, I'm definitely on the latter part of those two groups. I think he just hasn't been put with the right people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the the overall agree, agreement that he's being put with bottom tier players and he's not being able to go out there and show that he can be a playmaker and a scorer. I just went on YouTube the other night and watched his highlights from World Juniors. Oh man, that was incredible, wasn't it? And he's he's a sniper. He can score from anywhere on the ice. I, yeah. I think he deserves a real look with maybe between line A and Ehlers, maybe between line A and another player, such as Roslevic. I'm I'm not sure who you put him with. But I think he deserves a look with those top guys. Yeah, and honestly, I think he's going to get a look with more offensive talent this season, just be, by virtue of who's in the lineup, you know? Like, they don't have a Thorburn or a Peluso anymore. A so, guy who is a, a lock every night just because of his role. Exactly. You know, the closest thing they have to that right now is Adam Lowry. And he's a far better player. And I think there's a case to be made that his offense has even improved enough that uh, he could make Patan look good, and vice versa, if that if they ended up there together. But you know, if you assume that Cop and Lowry are going to stay together, they probably are. With one of Tanev, or I mean, it's probably Tanev, maybe Dano in that spot. Whatever that leaves for the other line, it's going to be some combination of Patan, Roslevic, you know, Line A, Ehlers, Connor, Perot. Those are all players that. Patan could work with, in my opinion. So I think so long as he gets any games, he's going to look good this year. Are Patan and Dano two players that could be trade bait at the deadline if the Jets are looking to bring in a more experienced player? I mean, yes. I think they're the sort of players that the Jets would be willing to put in a trade. I don't know if they're the guys that the other teams would be calling about you know what i mean yeah uh, so maybe uh maybe a higher draft pick plus one of these players who uh dano's 23 years old yeah and um patan is also 23 so guys who haven't really proved themselves aren't the biggest uh draw and they're not really prospects anymore because of their age yeah. so maybe maybe teams would go for that type of player if there's a draft pick involved, do you think? I think so. I think the real get for the other team would be the draft pick, and then Patan or Dano are a guy they can put in the lineup to replace whoever's going the other way. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. All right. All right, let's move on to stats for dad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Can you tell me a bit about that? So that is my uh, ongoing uh, stats primer series at uh, Jet Center. Um, you could call it a, a, a fancy stats for dummies kind of approach. Perfect. Um, but, you know, I try to introduce analytics in as simple and approachable a manner as I possibly can. I find that a lot of the arguments that happen online there's a, a lack of communication going between the people who know what the stats mean and the people who don't. And they have trouble bridging that gap because the people who know what they're talking about uh, kind of skip steps in their reasoning that 
uh, people who are new to it can't quite follow. And so if you want someone to learn how these work, you kind of have to go step one, step two, step three, I think, and not get ahead of yourself. And that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, <laughs> I try to keep it, you know, a bit light and, you know, approachable, accessible, however you want to put it. Um, and I call it Stats for Dad because I am literally writing it for my dad. Uh, I get a kick out of it. I don't know if, if anyone else cares, but if you read the comments section in any of the three posts in the series, uh, I've gotten into a conversation with my dad. Uh, you know, he didn't know what Corsi meant, for example, and it blew his mind when he found out that it's just shot attempts. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what is what is Corsi or Fancy Stats um, showing fans that are just watchers doing the basic eye test, just what they see on the ice versus what the what the stats are showing on paper? Yeah. So that's actually a really interesting thing. Uh, it's for me, it's the the eye test or just watching the game is complemented by the stats, by the analytics. So the way that that works is anybody who watches the game remembers the big things that happen. They remember the big goals. They remember the big hits. They remember the big mistakes. That's what sticks out in your brain. What you miss are all the little things that happen all the time. Or you don't, even if you notice them at the time, you don't remember them as well because they don't stick out. And I think if you want to get the whole story, you want to remember the big details and also be able to flesh out the little things. Like, how many times did Jacob Truba manage to get the puck out of his own zone? Well, unless you're sitting there with a pen and paper and, you know, taking it off every time he does it, you're not going to know the answer to that question. But uh, it's just as important as whether or not he made a sweet play to set up, an assist, set up a goal, you know? Well, I think it's definitely something every Jets fan and every hockey fan should check out um, because fancy stats at the beginning are a bit daunting and uh, stats yeah. for seems to just break it down a little simpler and get people to realize what we're being showed. And uh, I know myself will be checking that out for sure. <laughs> right on. Please do. I'd be uh, happy to have you. And uh, I just want to add one last thing on that is that I am coming at this as someone who had to teach himself all what these all mean. When I started paying attention to hockey, I had no clue. And there wasn't really a whole lot out there to help you learn. Or rather, there is, but you have to dig for it. Nobody tells it to you straight up. And I'm trying to fix that. Well, I thank you very much, Ali, for joining us today. Uh, tell the listeners where they can find you. All right. Well, uh, I write for Jet Center. That's uh, jetcenter.ca. Uh, I'm also on Twitter uh, at Alistair uh, underscore Moet. Uh, that's... A-L-I-S-T-A-I-R underscore M-O-W-A-T. Yeah, come find me on Twitter. I'm happy to talk. And uh, hopefully I'll see you in the comment section of Stats for Dad. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right. My pleasure, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Okay. Have a good night. You too.